Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the fourth pick in the NFL draft, the New York Jets select... It's Garrett Wilson. Evan Neal is just different. Jets fans, draft fans, we are one month away from the NFL Combine. And myself, I've been grinding high school track tape, trying to figure out who runs the fastest 40 and who will show out the shoot-up draft boards. Dylan, already shaking his head because thinking I'm going to make another Jahan Dotson joke, but I wasn't even going to go there. But welcome back to draft season. Dylan, how are you? I'm doing good, Meeks. How are you? I'm good. Good. Can't complain. Senior Bowl's done. Jets coach, you know, a dub. Ron Middleton remains undefeated as a coach. And really can't complain. Was fun to see all the guys at the Senior Bowl. Was fun to see the Jets staff so involved. They got rave reviews about their energy and about basically everything. So Robert Sala, from a PR perspective, has been everything the Jets could hope for. And now you just hope it translates to wins on the field. Uh, Joe? I mean, we're going to talk about some edge rushers today. Maybe it'll get contentious. Maybe it won't. Are you ready? Well, I'm hoping it gets a little contentious. That's what makes this pod fun. But uh, overall, I'm just chilling, vibing, relaxing, trying to channel my inner Michael Carter. (laughs) Hopefully, you know, I get out of that mood because I definitely want to get a little crazy today, especially if you go after my guy. Let's just put it that way. All right, Michael. Yeah, no promises, no promises. James, who's just been grinding away, how are you? Good. You know, glad to see Joe's discovered Urban Dictionary with the uh, the chilling, the vibing, the relaxing. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm I'm hyped for the pod. And so if uh, you were saying chilling, vibing, relaxing before you were even born, what are you talking about? Yeah, James, yeah, yeah, James. You know, like I feel like I'm like stuck in the middle between the two age gaps on this podcast, so. Uh, it's very fun to watch the uh, Gen Z and Gen whatever Joe is uh, just argue about stuff like this. But there was a player that I think everyone on this podcast thought was gone when Trevor Lawrence absolutely dropped the ball in the red zone and the Jets beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, basically confirming that they were not going to have one of the first two picks in the draft. And the Jets are drafting fourth overall. But this player from Oregon has not been getting a lot of hype 
this draft season. A lot of people are questioning his motor, questioning how hard he plays, questioning how flexible he is. And there's a realistic chance that he'll be on the board for the Jets at number four. And I know James um, is going to tell me about what he studies, what his GPA is, and what drives his – is he an abstract? Is he a concrete thinker? I don't know. So I'm going to turn it over to James to lead our discussion on the artist known as KV on Thibodeau. <laughs> Sounds good. So it's actually pretty funny because last video I saw of Kayvon was the one that people were trolling him where he was talking about like he meant stigma, but said stigmatism, like the eye problem. Um, so yeah, he, he is a, an athlete and a scholar, but um, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, for those who don't know, Ed Rush from Oregon, he is the former number one overall high school recruit. So he is highly touted. And He's could be a Jets pick. So kind of where I want to start here, guys, is I want to also to Dylan, you know, when you watch Kayvon, kind of what's the, the first thing or the biggest quality as a player that comes to your mind? I think I'm honestly going to go with a bit of a vague answer here and say game record ability. I think that something that Thibodeau brings to the table here is that he's just that damn good as an athlete that I think his first step quickness, his explosiveness is incredibly impressive. I think his strength, his ability to just dominate guys is really eye-opening. And I think the one thing that has come into question about Kayvon a lot especially in the past couple of weeks, there's been people saying he's arrogant and there's been people saying, you know, maybe his motor's not the highest, you know, I'm not going to necessarily talk about the on the field here. I am going to go off the field. This is a guy who his ambitions go beyond the game. And that's been something that's been called into question, but the big thing that he's kind of driven home heavily is that, you know, he wants to play the game of football to accumulate wealth, to open a charter school, kind of like what LeBron did. And I think that, with Kayvon, because I know we're going to get into the technical stuff, I think I got to start by saying he is a good, well-rounded individual. And I think that there's been a lot of this bullshit thrown all over the media lately that he's arrogant. So, yeah, I'm going to stick up for the dog here and say that I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good high-character individual. But on the field, I think he's just a damn playmaker. So, Okay, got it. Meeks, what's the uh, first quality that comes to your mind? I know Joe's just breathing, but I got to let him keep breathing. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad, yeah, that your plan is to keep Joe as brooding as long as possible. I mean, for me, when I watch Thibodeau, it's just like how explosive he is and how, when he puts all his skills together, just how impactful it is and how that, like his splash plays, I think are the best in the class. And while, yeah, he does struggle for consistency and maybe he hasn't lived up to the hype that he had after his freshman year of Oregon to being that elite level edge prospect that we've seen like because he's not chase young he's not miles garrett i don't think he's either of the boses but i think he's a really really good player and he definitely has the highest ceiling of any defensive player in this class joe i've got my popcorn ready what do you got i'm kind of with meigs on this one i feel like it's his explosiveness now listen he has some nice pass rush moves too. You know he has a use of a long arm when converting speed to power i like his dip and rip around the corner He's got a little bit of a Euro step he uses to the inside and outside. So like I mentioned, he does have some pass rush moves for sure. But in a general sense, Kayvon is the kind of player right now who wins mostly because of his athleticism and explosiveness. And he needs to develop more from a technical standpoint. He doesn't consistently sink his hands and feet together. And if an offensive lineman gets good hands on him, he has a little bit of that Zach Harrison syndrome where he almost like gives up on the play. 
But listen, this is the kind of prospect that if he could put it all together and find a way to blend his explosion with better technique, the sky's the limit for this player. There's no question. He's a total beast and a freak athlete. And I say that, you know, thinking very deeply about my friend Dylan over here. Definitely a freak athlete. So I'm into Kayvon. I think that his explosiveness is what's going to help him win at the next level. And I, he's got that in spades. So, yeah, I mean, he's got to clean it up from a technical standpoint, but nobody could criticize him from that angle. That's for sure. Mm. And looking at the flip side of that coin, Meigs, what would you say is the biggest area of development that's needed for Kayvon? Um, I just don't think he knows how to use his hands very well. I don't think that he's one of those guys who doesn't have a pass rush plan per se and doesn't know how to use them. I just think he struggles. Like he'll have one play where he uses his hands perfectly. And then he'll have another play where he just doesn't know how to do it at all. And that inconsistency, I think what bothers me the most is because he has everything like there are not got like he's six, six, like a real two sixty five, And he moves like a jungle cat. Like it's crazy how he moves and you like, and like with his hands, it's like, this is something that a coach should help him with something that coaching can really take to the next level. And that's why I'm so high on him. Cause I don't think this is unreasonable to think that he can fix this. It's just very frustrating watching someone do all the hard stuff. And then the easy technique, which just takes repetition and just practice is where he struggles. Joe, do you agree? Where do you think the biggest area of development for Kayvon is? Yeah, I mentioned it. It's just his inconsistencies. That's really all it is. He just needs to find a way to put it together. And you see him do it sometimes. You know, you see him really, you know, sink those hands and feet together, especially on these like inside counter moves. He has a really nice inside move. I mean, it's like really a thing of beauty. Even when you're watching those Utah games, which are two games I feel like he really struggled in. There was one play towards the end of the uh, Pac-12 championship where he took advantage of an offensive lineman's tendencies to overset. And he was able to kind of work off of that approach and, and get himself a stack where he was pretty much for the most part handled in that game, which I honestly left a bad taste in my mouth when evaluating Kayvon, but he does show some tendencies to, to learn and to kind of develop a plan when things weren't originally working. And I think that's just a really positive sign when it comes to him, because there are players who, if you're stifling them or stymieing them the entire game, you pretty much lock them out and there's nothing left from them, but he didn't give up. Even though I will say that the effort in that game at times was disgusting. I just got to be straight up and say it that way. But you know, the fact that he was, didn't give up kind of examined and looked at this offensive lineman from, I, I guess, an intellectual standpoint and trying to figure out how it is that he could now take advantage of him. I like that I saw that from him. So just being more consistent and, and finding a way to get to the QB for sure. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, as, as Dylan said, Kayvon is a man of scholarly ambition. So uh, it does make sense that he would learn quickly. Dylan, uh, biggest area of development. Yeah, you know, as much as I went into the whole personal thing, I'm looking at it from a technical standpoint, his hand usage is not where it needs to be. He relies predominantly, I think, as Joe led with on his explosiveness and his athleticism. And I think his hand usage needs to take a step up forward. You know, he is naturally going to be double teamed pretty early on in his career, regardless of who he ends up alongside, whether that be Carl Lawson or whether that be again or next to somebody on the Houston Texans, Jacksonville Jaguars, Detroit Lions, et cetera. But I think he's definitely going to command a lot of attention from a defense. And when his predominant move is a two-hand swipe off the outside tackles, 
shoulder when he's on the outside. I don't necessarily know how efficient stuff like that's going to be in some of these basic repertoire moves, like a club move or some of his other stuff is going to be as he gets to the next level here. But I think the one thing that will serve him well is I think you hit on it a little bit, Joe, is his inside move. And I think that could work really well at the next level. But I think overall, I think um, Meek's like you kind of elaborated on or to elaborate more on your point though he's still technically raw in some aspects and I think he's got to take a step forward because I do agree with you Joe there's moments in time where you look at his film as much as I'll stand on the soapbox for him in certain regards that there was it's underwhelming for a guy that you're talking about in being one of the top two top three top one prospects in this class where you know it's not just pure domination there's moments where you go okay who am I supposed to be watching on this tape right now so yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I will add on the topic of hands. Um, the way I kind of think about pass rushing is like John Ledyard, who writes for Peter Report, he came on last season and talked to us about the edge rush class. And the way he described it, I thought was such a good visual. I mean, you can win three ways as an edge rusher. You can win the outside track. You can win through the tackle with power and you can win the inside track. Um, and I think Kayvon's you know, very good at winning the outside track, mostly with athleticism. And so in my opinion, I don't really care whether you win outside with athleticism or hand usage, as long as you can win outside with some combination of the two. I did see just in the games I saw, you know, I saw Cal, I saw another game from this season. Like, I do think he is better at winning through the tackle with power um, than he is winning the inside track. I think, some of the inside stuff that I saw from him was like penetration, but it wasn't really hands-based. It was more like athleticism and lateral, just kind of like explosiveness. And so I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for him to work on like, you know, what Hutchinson does where he has that inside side scissors move. And like, I feel like that's a big area of, of development for Kayvon, where if he does that, you're unlocking a, you're making him like a, a really, really good complete pass rusher. Um, what I did want to ask you guys though, is like, in terms of helping people visualize Kayvon's game, are there any players in the NFL or previous prospects that you would compare him to stylistically? You can throw out names uh, if you have one at the top of your head. I saw somebody call him like a bigger version of Harold Landry, and I like that comp a lot. Landry was this really explosive player who just needed some refinement from a technical standpoint, and I think that's pretty much Kayvon in a nutshell. Uh, yeah, Joe's probably going to get mad at me for this comp, but um... – I was just trying to look at guys who I thought were just his size and weighed 260 pounds and are just that explosive and that athletic. And the guy I came across is the brother of the former light heavyweight champion of the UFC, John Jones with Chandler Jones, just because the way that Chandler Jones wins in Arizona, I think is basically what you want KV on to be because Chandler Jones hands are excellent. And I think the way he wins, the way he wins outside, the way he wins inside, the way he wins through the tackle is what you picture. That's what you hope for Kavion to be. And the explosion is the thing that I see the most with the, between those two, and that's why I hope that Kavion can get to. But Kavion is a much skinnier, much lighter body that I think he needs to fill out that frame to get to that high-end comparison. Could you imagine if I said that Kavion Thibodeau was Chandler Jones? I didn't say imagine Meeks' reaction. Chandler well, Jones, Joe! Chandler Jones! I mean, Chandler Jones is like the seventh best pass rusher. I don't feel like that's that hard to take. Meeks, I'm perfectly fine with it. I'm just telling you how yeah, that was I, my dude, take. Like, if I said Miles Garrett, I feel like that was worth, that was worthy of it. Miles Garrett? 
Yeah, if I said Miles Garrett, I feel like I should definitely be criticized. Wait, you don't think Chandler Jones is a Hall of Fame type player? I do, but do you think Chandler Jones was ever the best pass rusher in the NFL? No, but he is definitely a game wrecker and, yeah. and definitely more refined from a hundred percent. I'm saying that's what that's in cave on it. Yeah. Oh, I, I believe point, he was even a little bit more refined in college. I love Chandler Jones coming out of Syracuse. I, I said to my friends, even in that draft, that this is the guy we need to draft. You know, we took oh, uh, Joe, Kobe you were right. Draft. I am not, uh, even, even, even Ingram would have been better. I was like, this guy is a true bona fide game wrecker, but he had some injury concerns. So I think that that was maybe the Jets sleeping on him a little bit or just not doing their due diligence, if you ask me, because he was, oh my God. I mean, what a beast he was at Syracuse. Yeah, fantastic football player. Dylan, you have any names you want to throw out there? Yeah, I'm going to read you guys a scouting, like weaknesses scouting report here. And I just want you guys to tell me who this makes you think of. Hasn't fully developed his repertoire of pass rush moves at this point. Has a motor where he might take a few plays off when he's tired. A little thin for a defensive end, but shouldn't be an issue at an outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense. But if he bulks up, he could fit a 4-3. Anybody got a player? Ja'Kai Polite. Ja'Kai <laughs> Polite? Is that the final guess? Uh, uh, it- Brian are Burns? you are you wait are you thinking of like a specific player? I'm thinking of a specific player. I'm reading somebody's scouting report for him. Okay, give us like a little bit of the hint to like narrow it down. A former first overall pick in the last decade. Oh, it's Clowney. Yes. Clowney. Clowney. Yeah. They said he needs to bulk up. Yeah, Clowney is huge. <laughs> He needed, the bulk, he needed to gain a little more weight. Yeah, this must have been like a Mike Florio scouting report. <laughs> yeah. That's like that scouting like 280 report. in college? That's like the scouting report I read on Charles Cross, like uh, last in during the summer when they said he has bad use of hands and with timing and placement. I was like, who is this person? They have no clue. Regardless, my point is, at this point in time, Thibodeau is nine pounds lighter than him. He's going to run a slightly slower 40, because I know Meigs, that's a big thing for you. Um, what did, wait, wait, what did Clowney run? He ran a four, five, three. Okay. Yeah. Tibbet yeah. going to come slower than that. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to probably be fine, mid to high four fives. I'm thinking. Yeah. I, I, could, I see like a four, six, six, I think with him. Oh, wow. I think yeah. that's a four, that six, 10 yard split is going to be nasty. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that's going to be like a one, six though. I want to see what that three cone is. That's why I compared him to Harold Landry. Landry had a six, eight, eight, three cone. I mean, if Thibodeau goes sub six, nine with his three cone, that is scary. Yeah. Honestly, I know if it were up to Meigs, Meigs would want cave on at like the Texas six, a high school championship track meet. I'm just saying there's no way Jahan Dotson runs four, three, three. When he ran, we're going to get into this three hundred yard meters. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Regardless of all of that, I do believe when you look at Thibodeau and Clowney and a lot of the evaluations that are going to come out in the next few months, especially looking at them side by side, I think you look at Clowney as a guy who's not necessarily panned out as this dominant, aggressive pass rusher at the next level. His career high is nine and a half sacks. I mean, Chandler Jones has eclipsed that. There's a lot of guys who have eclipsed that. So I'm not talking about Thibodeau coming in and wrecking games the same way that some of these guys have. I'm talking about a guy who might not actually produce those crazy high sack numbers, but can end up influencing a game because you look at clown these last couple of years, he's not been in the top 30 in pass rush win rate, but he still has an impact on games by causing pressures and disruptions. So I think if Thibodeau can do that in the pros, I think that's a safe floor or not necessarily even a safe floor. I think that's a reasonable expectation for him. Kayvon isn't a double-digit sack guy in a top-five pick. That's a colossal bust, in my opinion. You know, yeah. if, I, if, he, if he's up there with total pressures and stuff on you, could probably make some excuses for him. But he needs to come. He's not. Clowney's more of an edge setter. He's, he's more of a strong side, you know, defensive end. And this guy's a weak side speed rusher who needs to be smacking the quarterback up on every single play. If he's not doing that, like, let me tell you, especially if he gets drafted by the Jets, that's going to be a serious problem. Yeah. Especially no, if he's I... playing the solid defense on that weak side. Like, I'm glad that you will be able to make some excuses for him, Dylan. I appreciate it. But, like, if he's clowny in the NFL, that's a huge disappointment for me. Yeah, I agree with Joe in this regard because Clowney is such a good run defender. And I don't think Thibodeau, for as good of a player I think he can be, I don't think he's ever going to get that aspect of the game to the level that Clowney is. And if you aren't that and you have Clowney's sack numbers, you are a – average defensive end and that is just not what he could be as a top five pick but i feel like it's unfair unfair to call him a colossal failure when the whole jets fan base and i'm sure some guys on this pod were hyping up carl lawson whose career sack number or five and a half sacks in 2020 2019 five sacks but because of his pressures his pass rush win rate we're hyping him up we handed him a huge bag they're expecting this guy to produce immense numbers and you're gonna i i don't know it feels a little wrong in that regard because the pressures and the disruption Carl Lawson causes, which I support is if Thibodeau can do that. Yeah. He might not have those crazy. Like, I agree with you. If we're going to spend a top pick on him, I want the crazy high sack numbers. I'm just saying a reasonable floor for him would be those clowny numbers and be those, that disruption factor. I'm not necessarily saying I don't want him to have those numbers. I'm not going to make the excuse for him, but I'm going to say if Carl Lawson's going to be counted on as a guy to cause disruption, I think Thibodeau can be held in that same regard. Well, I mean, Dylan, Carl Lawson was available and didn't get re-signed by his own team for a reason, right? They probably wanted that from him and they didn't get it. Now the Jets saw the promise, most likely because of the total pressures. And I think because, you know, he's kind of a, maybe not a prototypical Salah weak side edge. You know, I think he likes him to be a little bit bigger, but he could stop the run and he could put pressure on the quarterback. And I feel like they said, He's had some injury concerns, and when he's on the field, he is a bit of a game record. I will say this about Kayvon is that even in college, like on those days where he's not so dominant, it, it is because he's influencing the game in other ways, right? He's being chipped. He's being double teamed. And yeah, I could see him maybe not getting the sack here and there. But like you said, 
creating an impact on wins and losses without getting those sacks. I, I, so I, I hear what you're saying in that regard. At the same time, he needs to find a way to treat that damn quarterback like a pinata and get me some damn candy, all right? Because that's why I drafted his ass, all right? Yeah, I think I just want to make one more point, James, and we can move on. But I think a perfect example of what Dylan's talking about and what Joe wants and isn't the highest sack player. Joey Bosa's never had more than 12 and a half sacks in a season, but I don't think anyone would doubt that Joey Bosa is a guy who wrecks games on Sunday and is an elite player. Except and, when he goes up against Mekhi Becton. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, honestly, don't, don't let me get on a Mekhi Becton rant at the moment. I, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, I'm not dealing with that tonight. And I think that, and Joey Bosa was a top three pick. I think the Los Angeles Chargers would take Joey Bosa three overall again if they could. They gave him a huge contract because he is that player. And, you know, you want that sack number to be between nine and 13 with those big ones if they get lucky. And you want to be a dominant player that you don't need to be having 15 sacks a year because sacks aren't the most sticky stat. And I think you can still be a disruptive player without that high number every year. So I think Kayvon Thibodeau has the talent to be that level player. And if he comes to the Jets, I think that's we all see it because I'm not doing the Quentin Williams song and dance for another player in regards to just having – he was taken third overall, you have to have real expectations. And I think if you take a defensive player fourth overall, you should have those same expectations. For sure. Yeah, so a few points. Number one, I do think Kayvon is a good run defender. I think he's a really good penetrator in the run game. Number two, to Dylan's comp of Jadavian Clowney, or just throwing out the idea, um, I think two similarities are the linear explosiveness – um, and I, I think like, I don't think they have bend necessarily, but I do think they can change direction effectively. Um, I think that's worth parsing out. I'd say a, a third thing is anybody who's watched Oregon knows that like, what is even going on on that defense where they're routinely dropping him into coverage on like key downs. And yes, there is something to be said for, yes, you're running simulated pressures. You're dropping a first level defender. You can't just have like a tendency every single time of rushing cave on when you have your simulated pressures being run. However, you can do what Alabama did with Will Anderson and maybe you drop him twice the entire game instead of like seven or eight times. Uh, fourth thing I, I do want to say my, uh, not my comp, you know, I did see Brandon Thorne throughout the idea of Thibodeau having shades of Javon curse. I wasn't around for Javon Curse. I don't know much about him besides the contents of his Wikipedia page. But when uh, when I did see like some clips on Twitter of Javon Curse, the get off and explosiveness, and like the fact that he was getting downfield up the arc so fast, he barely needed to use his hands. That was shades of Kayvon Thibodeau to me. Um, okay, is there anything else that we haven't touched on? in this whole kind of conversation that that's worth bringing up that you guys want to bring to the table? Um, I think I'd like to hear what, cause I think this is a question that Joe has. He hasn't really, he's brought it up on the show a little bit is that he, Joe, I know you're not too jazzed about the idea of Lawson and Thibodeau as an edge duo. And I think I want you to expand on that for our other listeners and me see if me and Dylan can talk you off the ledge a little bit. Yeah, when you look at a prototypical Salah defense, his strong side edge is usually a big guy, like 280, even in the 290-pound range, somebody like Jonathan Franklin Myers, somebody like Arik Armstead. And even when you look on the other side, the weak side, somebody like Bosa plays in the high 260s, even in the 270s. And when Bosa got hurt, 
He replaced him with Kerry Hyder, not like some 250 pound pass rushing specialist, right? Not some speed rusher. So I feel like Lawson and Thibodeau like together on base downs is not what you're really going to see. I feel like if they draft Thibodeau, he's going to come in and pretty much compete, compete with Lawson. And the other one is going to be used pretty much on passing downs and as a pass rushing specialist. I, that's, that's how I envision it. I know that they're both pretty good run defenders, but that's not what Sal is looking for from his defensive line. He likes these guys to be big and stout and, you know, really doing all the work for the guys behind them. And I feel like those guys are a little bit too small for the people he's looking for. I mean, that's how I, I definitely, and I think that's really the way it's going to work out. Now, I think on clear passing downs, having those two guys on the field at the same time is going to be absolute fire. And I'm mad excited for something like that. That's why I'm like, listen, if I, if I had to choose between Hutchinson and between Thibodeau, well, I, I have Hutchinson ranked higher, so I'd probably pick him first. But I also think he's just a better fit because he is the guy who you could play on the strong side because I think he will eventually play close to that 280-pound range. So I think him, uh, Hutchinson on one side with Lawson on the other, is a much better match than, say, Thibodeau on one side and Lawson on the other side in their base defense. Yeah, I, I do see what you're saying and your point about Hutch. I mean, how easy is it to picture the Jets defensive line watching Michigan and just pick, put Carl Lawson in the Ojabo role and have Hutchinson next to him? And anyone can do that. You're sitting pretty. I think anyone can see that. And I do – I like the thing that I'm very curious about – what Robert Sala wants and what, because it's very hard to, for me to think about how different the San Francisco defense is without Robert Sala and how we saw Chris Kashurik and D'Amico Ryans get more of a player like Arden Key, who is a smaller body in that defensive line. And is that, a, is that something that Robert Sala could have done? Or is that just not where that's where the philosophies differ? And I do get your point. Cause I really think how they use John Franklin Myers is going to be really telling in this defense, especially on, do you want to kick him inside? Do you want to have him as that strong defender on the outside for rundowns? And do you want to move Kayvon inside? Do you want to play around with that? Do you just want to use him as that part like that part-time player? I think what I like about Kayvon in this defense is that it just gives them so many options. It allows them to be multiple. It allows them to be varied. And then that just causes a headache for, a for opposing offenses. Well, I think, you know, there are a lot of teams out there who are passing more on first down. So I think you would see the combination of, of them out there together more than maybe in years past. So I think people will all of a sudden see, oh, look, Lawson and Thibodeau are on the field on, on first down. That's their base defense. Well, no, it's just situational football. So I feel like, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it will allow them to get really multiple. Listen, having two guys like that who are just these really good pass rushers would be Listen, it's, it'd be something that we've never had, really. Exactly. The last time we had something like that, he had like Sean Ellis on one side and John Abraham on the other side was a pretty dynamic duo. Um, we haven't seen anything like that in years. And this would probably be the closest thing to it. Okay. So let's do a little – Meeks, did you want to say something? I don't know. I, I just want to hear what Dylan had to say, actually. As much as this is the Kayvon Thibodeau episode, I go back and forth on these two a lot. And that's mainly because of kind of the both the points you guys made. It's kind of like the angel and the devil on my shoulder on both sides, because, you know, Joe, you do make a lot of good points and you've made the same points. And I think we've all kind of touched on that. I mean, if you look at both of them, in my opinion, Hutch is still the more well-rounded player. I think at this point in time, everything that he learned with Don Brown has made him probably the best run defending edge in this class. And then I think, 
on the other side, he's still a dynamic pass rusher. And I think his technique is still probably better than Thibodeau's and near the top of the class, um, if not the best. So obviously Hutch in that regard is held high for me, but I think the versatility of having two guys in Thibodeau and Lawson who could be used all over and then kind of just play a bunch of different looks because Salah could kind of have his own stamp on this defense, because as you mentioned, you know, they've kind of done different things now with Arden key and those smaller guys and how much of Salah's was utilizing what he was given versus him requesting people. And I don't know, I think having two guys in Thibodeau and Lawson, could allow him to do a lot more with JFM and Q too. So I think it just leaves a lot of more, a lot more flexibility. Whereas with Hutch, you are kind of pigeonholed in that. I feel like it's going to be him on the field, three downs, not as much differing looks in my opinion. Okay. So I kind of want to transition this out with a few, like fill in the blank, quick answer questions. So first question or statement rather that you're filling in. Kayvon Thibodeau will have blank amount of nine plus sack seasons. Nine being chosen because that means you're a top 20 edge rusher in the NFL statistically. How many? Let's start with Joe. Go to me last. I need to think about this. All right, let's start with Meeks. Uh, okay. Um, I want this preference where my answer is null and void if he goes to the Houston Texans because that's not a real franchise. But I will say seven. Dylan? I think we're on the same wavelength, Meigs. I'll go six. Joe? I was thinking seven as well. I'm with Meigs. Okay. Uh, I will go five. Let's see. All right. Next one. Hold on a second, James. So is that worth the fourth pick in the draft? Well, you never know. You can't just like show if he plays every single season completely healthily and he goes to a good team that allows him to get one-on-ones and everything is perfect throughout the rest of his career, I feel like my prediction is probably going to be incorrect. But most things don't go according to plan. So I feel like he'll probably have a few, like one or two seasons completely out the window because of injury. And, you know, I feel like things will just happen that get in the way of that. All right. Okay. All right. Um, Okay. So assuming offensive tackle, either Neil or Aquanu, goes one, Hutchinson goes two to the Lions and Kyle Hamilton or Derek Stingley or somebody else goes three to the Texans. First part, are you drafting Kayvon Thibodeau? And second part, how much consideration to other options like an Aquanu, for example, are you giving it? Is it like a you run up the card without even thinking it's Thibodeau or is it a serious conversation? Let's start with Dylan. I don't think you run up the card on anybody anybody in this class, in my opinion. I think you sit back and you wait for things to develop. You look at your board. I mean, obviously, Thibodeau is a top player in this class, and I don't think they're going to run out the entire clock, but I don't think you're also sprinting up the card either. I think you wait, kind of see what could happen with a potential trade down because ultimately you do have two picks in the top 10. If a good enough offer comes through the table, you take the trade down, but um, I'm not running the card up. Joe? Prior to doing this deep dive on Thibodeau, like I've done the last couple of days, he's like him and Hutchinson were the two players who I said I would change my kind of approach to building this offensive line. But now, as I said, going a little bit deeper, I think his floor is a lot lower than I originally thought. So I got to be honest with considering who our quarterback is young and developing. 
and just the state of the offensive line with the uncertainty at tackle and with the interior being the way it is as well. I think that I'm probably leaning towards a Kwanu or Neal in this spot right now over Thibodeau. Got to be completely honest with that. Meeks? If I was the GM of the Jets and Kayvon Thibodeau was on the board at four, I would hand in the card in the first 20 seconds and not have any questions about it. And there's also a stigma that comes with the Jets not having an edge defender, and it's just nice to be able to throw someone who has the tantalizing ability of Thibodeau in that role just so you can – just for the PTSD that all of us have. But I think if Joe Douglas passes on Thibodeau for, let's say, Evan Neal goes one, and he passes on him for Aquano, who is a fantastic football player – I think it tells us a lot about the Mackay Becton situation. And I think it shows us that that situation is near untenable because you're basically betting that one of George Fant or Mackay Becton is going to be playing tackle for you in 2023 if you're going to be taking Aquanu with the fourth overall pick. And the only thing I can base on as an outside observer after watching this season is that you're betting on that being George Fant because George Fant was the guy who is the proven commodity, the one that your coaching staff clearly has a higher opinion of at the moment because availability to them is the best ability. And if you are taking a Kwanu there, I think you're trying to make up for a mistake that you made two years ago and just trying to plug that hole with the leaving edge open. And that's not something that if you made one mistake, you don't shouldn't have to make a second mistake in my eyes to cover it up. I, I agree with Meigs on that, but I, I think it does give you some insight into what's going on with Becton, but I also gives, thinks it gives you some insight into how they feel about Zach Wilson's second year. I feel like it'll tell you that they more are hoping he takes a leap than expecting he takes a leap. Because if they were expecting him to take a leap, I don't think we would be thinking about offensive line in this spot at all, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think, I think that's valid. I think what Meek said, is, I think that was some very incisive analysis. It does say a lot about Becton. I also think that the incremental benefit you get on the offensive line by drafting somebody at four is way less than the like massive upgrade you would get on the defensive line by bringing in Thibodeau. Um, so I would run in the card if I were the GM of the Jets. What do you guys, do you guys think that this draft is deeper at edge or offensive line? Uh, offensive edge. line. Edge. Uh, edge. I think it's deeper at edge. That's why I think going offensive line would be a, a really smart decision. Like you could get a Kwanu and somebody like Kingsley and Igbari with that first pick in the second round, or you could get um, Thibodeau and I don't know who's going to be a, Zion Johnson. I'm sorry. Like if Zion Johnson is there at the top of the second round, that's amazing, but I just don't feel like he is going to be there. So yeah, no, I don't think Zion will be at the You think either. I don't think Penning's going to be there either. So who is it? Who's that offensive lineman that you're going to plug in there potentially to take over for one of those two tackles, Fans or Becton, or somebody who you could put in that guard and feel very comfortable that they are going to make this offensive line that much better? Who's the guy? Sure, Penning, baby. Who? Sure, Penning, baby. Penning's not going to be there either, bro. People uh, are no. super high Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you guys this question. I think there's a well, clear... Well, please, what about uh, my question? I know. This, this goes into your question. Okay, all right. So I think we have a top three at edge. We have a top three at offensive tackle. I think Neil, Aquanu, and Charles Cross is the tier one of this tackle group. I think Hutch, Thibodeau, and Carl Loftus to a lot of people are tier one of this edge group. Do you guys think the drop-off is bigger from tier one to tier two in edge or offensive tackle? The bigger drop-off, offensive yeah. tackle? Yeah. I think it's edge. Offensive tackle for sure. 
I, Listen, think I like Trevor Penning. Trevor Penning, and I'll put it out here, I, I did a little bit on him last week. He is a slightly overrated player. He's got a lot of things to fix, especially on the second level, you know, on his pad level as well. And if they're going to take somebody like him and think that he's going to play guard, well, I got to tell you, they're going to be a lot of growing pains because this guy has some serious issue. Like I said, with his pad level, he's almost six foot seven. There's like, I don't, how many good six foot seven inch guards are, are there in the NFL? I could tell you there's probably about zero, right? And I don't care how big and strong you are. If somebody can get underneath you and into your chest, physics always wins. The low man always wins. So I think like getting somebody like Aquano who could be your long-term guard or even potentially Neil, who is a little bit higher and has some of those pad level issues as well, but he could certainly play guard better than Penning. I think that that is, I mean, so important to just solidifying that offensive line, giving Zach the protection he needs to throw the ball, but also to run the ball. If this team isn't like a dominant running team next year, they're going to have serious problems. And Aquano would be a huge addition to that part or that aspect of the game taking off. And I think that that's something that we're not really talking about as much as we should. That's fair. I think with Aquano also asking him to play guard, like, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be a transition as well. And I think there's going to be some growing pains for him there as well. Oh, sir. Of course. I mean, even, even AVT had growing yeah. pains, you know, his first year in the league, it's, it's, it's expected. I mean, it's the way it is, except I feel like it's going to be more in from a pass protection perspective than a run blocking perspective. And I feel like if they could get that running game going, it's going to make that passing game just that much easier to, well, implement and for Zach to perform. Yeah, no, I, it's, 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 it's not an easy question. Um, in regards for Joe Douglas, and I think free agency is going to tell you for what they attack for how they really view this. And if they go out in the veteran edge market and they pursue a Chandler Jones, they pursue a Daniel Hunter if he shakes free or he comes on the block with that new regime in Minnesota, and they take that decision and they say we have our veteran guys and then we go for the offensive line because if Zach doesn't pan out, we're all getting fired, then we'll know. And that's going to be in about five weeks' time. But James, very good job, you know, hosting today. I was very proud. Please, Dan Essen has built the beautiful draft season website. Please go check it out. Articles will be dropping there all the time, all during draft season, writing about all your favorite prospects, you know, even those small school guys that you don't think are getting enough love. I know that uh, I feel like I, Christian Watson is going to be a guy that uh, is going to get a lot of love on Jets Twitter. I know a piece will be coming out about him soon. And make sure you're sub to the Turtle and Jets pod. Make sure you're sub to Badlands. And we'll see you guys next week.